a group of youngsters at the Early Childhood Centre all about kids in fielding. Standing in a circle with their arms wrapped around each other's shoulders, they gently sway left and right and launch into the national anthem. By the time these preschoolers have learned God Defend New Zealand, some of them will have been coming to All About Kids since they were just a few months, even weeks, old. The youngest student at All About Kids, four-and-a-half-month-old Grace, is having her first day without her mum, Michelle. Grace and Michelle are members of the first of three revolutions taking place in New Zealand child-rearing. The first is the return of women to the workforce after beginning a family. By 2005, 61% of women of working age were employed, up from 28% in 1951. The number of under threes in childcare doubled over the 17-year period between 1991 and 2008. Michelle, you're a lab technician here at Palmerston North Hospital and you've made the decision to put Grace with All About Kids one day a week? Three days a week. She does three, four days a week. So what led you to that decision? I think it came down to a financial decision. The concern was my husband's in the building industry and things have quietened down quite significantly. So my thoughts were that if I go back to work I can preserve our savings so if he does lose his job we'll still be okay. The second revolution is in the early childhood education sector itself. A 10-year strategic plan introduced in 2001 took a sector characterised by little regulation and a mishmash of qualifications and began to transform it into a professional standardised arena. Professor Carmen Daly, who's the director of the Institute for Early Childhood Studies at Victoria University, says the change in such a short time is phenomenal. I was in the sector in the 90s. And I remember reviewing all of the working parties on training and the need for training. There was hundreds of these small working groups and it was such a mess. People were trained in little drips and drips here and you couldn't evaluate who had done what. Nobody knew where to start. There were so many different attempts to try and rationalise the training. Um, and we finally got it through the strategic plan. The strategic plan called for 50% of employees of childcare centres to be qualified to teach by 2007, rising to 80% in 2010. The major advance in the last 20 years in understanding the children of this age is... In New Zealand's first children's commissioner and a former paediatrician, Ian Hassel, says the third revolution in brain research shows babies and toddlers are not just smaller versions of three- and four-year-olds. At the extreme, it's been found that children's actual structural brain development is impaired if they have interference with the ordinary reciprocal relationship with a constant caregiver. That reciprocal relationship is called serve and return by neuroscientists. Here's how a 2008 UNICEF report described serve and return. The way most parents respond to babies, the baby talk, the back and forth smiling and gurgling, the repeating of sounds, words, gestures, the besotted rejoicing over every small step in the infant's progress. 
Serve and return works best when it's embedded in an ongoing relationship between a child and an adult who is responsive to the child's unique individuality. Serve and return underpins the notion of responsiveness and appears to be crucial wherever the child is cared for. Kimberly Powell is the head of the Infant Mental Health Association. It's generally recognised that if you can train caregivers to be very responsive to infant cues, um, then you're going to have a much better chance of having infants who are well settled and secure um, wherever they're cared for. And that applies to the home situation as well. We want parents to also be uh, responding appropriately to their infant cues. So it appears that it's not out-of-home care as such that could be detrimental to brain development. It's whether carers respond appropriately to their charges. You see those adults tuning into those children and really listening. Di Anderson is the manager of evaluation at the Education Review Office. In other services, you see the adults talking to each other over the tops of the children and the children actually being ignored. Di Anderson describes what her team of investigators were looking for in their examination of infant and toddler centres between 2005 and 2008. We looked really carefully at how responsive the staff were to the children's communications with them, whether they were verbal or non-verbal, with what their needs were, with their routines, and that the routines were responsive to the children's needs then and there, not that we have set times for nappy time or set times for meals, etc., but that when the child was hungry, it got food, and when the child's nappies needed changing, etc., um, that they were responsive for each child all the time, um, not treat them just as a bunch of kids. The report emerging from that three-year investigation was released in April. Subsequent media reports proclaimed that up to half the centres fell short of standards, but many breaches were for non-compliance, with things like filling out records properly for out-of-centre visits. The review office recorded that, in fact... Interactions in most centres were typically warm, caring and nurturing. But there were centres where routines revolved around the adults' needs. Centres would have a particular time that children were to sleep and then they were to wake up and have their lunch, for example, and then there would be a nappy changing time and then there would be a bit of playtime and then a bit of sleep time. So it's, it's the adults determining the routines. Nevertheless, just eight out of the 74 centres visited performed so poorly they needed an urgent follow-up audit. And Di Anderson says all of them got a pass mark on the second visit. Massey Childcare Centre tossed their routines and literally tore the rosters from the walls to improve responsiveness to their under twos, as their manager Raywin Barry describes. The roster system was designed for working with older children and it was designed to meet the needs of the teachers. It had nothing really to do with the needs of the children. And what's happened is because we had such an explosion of participation of infants and toddlers in group care, we weren't ready for it. And so we just incorporated a lot of practices that were being used with over two children, like the four-year-old roster systems, without thinking about what that meant for infants and toddlers. And so when you stop and think about what needs to happen for infants and toddlers, you need to follow their rhythms, you need to be able to be flexible. And if you're giving a baby a bottle, it's such an intimate, beautiful time that needs to be spent between the key teacher and the child. You can't jump up halfway through that and say, it's 12 o'clock, I've got to go for lunch. Um, or my roster tells me I've now got to be on nappy changing. I mean, that's bizarre. Yeah, and we don't need rosters. Shoe fly. Shoe fly. 
can one adult be adequately responsive to five toddlers and infants? That's the statutory minimum ratio of teachers to children two years old and younger. And Ian Hassel believes it's unacceptable. If you're a mother and you've had a baby and a toddler, I think that you would consider that uh, having five such children in your care would be more than you would you'd be able to manage. The Eero report suggests that that's true. They, they paint a rather dismal picture of some childcare centres where children are not being talked to, tended, having no relationship with anyone while they're eating. They're just sitting there and eating on their own, you know, which I think is a very bleak picture. But the Education Review Office defends the ratio, saying although best practice is for one key teacher to be responsible for each child, teachers work as a team. Sarah Farquhar, the chief executive of the Umbrella Group, the Early Childhood Council, says there's a big difference between five children at home with a parent and five in formal care with a teacher. Staff in early childhood centres are not involved in the day-to-day things that a parent would be involved in, such as answering the phone, doing lots of cleaning, uh, having friends come round to visit, needing to bake, needing to vacuum, needing to catch up on sleep. Now these are things that make it very difficult for parents to manage one or two babies and so parents will look at an early childhood teacher and say, my gosh, how can you manage four babies at once? The government has for now scotched plans to reduce the statutory minimum ratio, but some centres, although it's expensive, have a ratio of one staff member to three children. Kimberly Powell of the Infant Mental Health Association believes early childhood education graduates are emerging from universities often without the sort of training needed to provide optimal responsiveness to the under threes. There are very complex behaviours and interactions and learning processes that are tied up in an infant's care, in their, the changing of their nappies, in how we put them to sleep, in how they learn to gain independence through feeding. And I, I do have to say, we're not really providing that in our um, general teaching programmes at the moment. Dr Powell says more specialised training is thin on the ground in New Zealand. I've had students come back to me two years after they've graduated and say, OK, look, I'm loving working with infants and toddlers or I want to do more. Where can I get further training? And right now, um, we're actually having to direct a lot of those students to do distance education and block course training in Australia. Joseph put his leg in the hole because... What the research that has been done has found is that childcare in and of itself is not a bad thing for children under one. Wendy Kelly is a clinical psychologist with a special interest in attachment and developmental issues. What did matter is when the childcare got disrupted, either changing different caregivers over the week or having um, caregivers come and go at a centre. Another thing neuroscience is revealing is that constancy of care for babies and toddlers is absolutely critical for their sense of trust and confidence in their environment. Research indicates that a fast-changing mural of caregivers' faces and responses could lead to behaviour problems down the track, and that's an issue within the New Zealand early childhood education scene as it's currently marked by a lack of workforce stability. There's a chronic teacher shortage, as Nancy Bell, the chief executive of the New Zealand Child Care Association, the sector's other umbrella group, explains. 
Some of that has been about the fact that there's been rapid growth and expansion and there's pretty aggressive headhunting of staff in some regions, particularly where a, a provider might be expanding. It can be quite competitive and that's something that the sector struggles with. Um, they'd, they'd like to see consistency for children. It's really, really important. Raywyn Barry of Massey Childcare Centre has been involved in the professional development of teachers throughout New Zealand. She describes what she sees in some centres as frightening. Teachers that are constantly shifting between an over two centre and under two centre. Centres whose staff are often part time. Centres who don't think attachment's important, that, that almost are discouraging attachment relationships between children and teachers because they think it's not a good thing. That to me is one of the biggest concerns I have. These are the reasons some experts say at least one parent should be at home with their baby and toddler. The assumption being parents offer the responsiveness and constancy that some childcare centres for various reasons cannot. But Alison Laurie, the Programme Director of Gender and Women's Studies at Victoria University, sees danger in pressure being put on mothers to stay out of the workforce, particularly during a recession when there's competition for jobs. I think this kind of argument that women should go back to the home is one that we should absolutely resist because I think it can be used in all sorts of ways that you know, aren't immediately obvious. There's been very long fight through the late 19th and 20th century for women to enter the professions and none of these things are set in concrete. You have to think about the fact that a lot of these things can be reversed. Just because there are gains have been made, it doesn't mean that they're necessarily permanent. Dr Laurie believes extending paid parental leave to at least a year from the current 14 weeks is a must, as does Ian Hassel. That first year is the most vulnerable one. And I'm not saying that, you know, you can't say a one-size-fits-all. There are some infants that may benefit from being placed elsewhere than with a parent. Um, some parents find it difficult to cope with infants, and so you need to take that into account. But I think for the majority of infants, they are very likely better off with somebody who has a constant care of them. Nikki Turner, an Auckland GP who runs the country's Immunisation Advisory Centre, is also calling for parental paid leave to be extended. Children aren't fully immunised for some of the really significant illnesses until they've had their first three vaccines, which are six weeks, three months and five months. So the younger children are unprotected against diseases such as whooping cough and pneumococcal pneumonia and meningitis and other similar diseases. There are other infectious diseases that the little kids are much more prone to, such as tummy bugs, gastroenteritis, coughs and colds. When they're very little, their immunity is still developing. So they're really very vulnerable to a lot of physical illnesses. I think the other concern about very little children, and, and as mums we all know this, it's really hard if you've got a very little child in childcare to try and maintain breastfeeding. According to the UN's Children's Fund, UNICEF, New Zealand comes third from bottom on an OECD table of 25 countries in the provision of paid parental leave. So is the government willing to review it? The Minister of Labour, Kate Wilkinson. If we extended parental leave for 12 months, the cost would be about $450 million in excess of that. At the moment, with the 14 weeks, it's just over $100 million. So it's a big economic cost to the country. When you're looking at the budget um, and you're looking at the cuts and the straightened economic times, uh, $462 million to extend it for 12 months is just something that we're not looking at. 
Ian Hassel queries why the subsidy given to parents for childcare could not be given to parents who choose to stay at home. And Kimberly Powell from the Infant Mental Health Association believes tax breaks for stay-at-home parents should also be considered. Dr Alison Laurie says we should all be willing to pay more tax, not less, to invest in the generation that will end up supporting their parents' generation. My good obstacle course? Wow. Even if parental leave was extended, most in the sector acknowledge there will always be a demand for places for under threes. So what can be done to provide uniformly optimal care for those children across the sector? The Early Childhood Council Sarah Farquhar believes the staff shortage could be alleviated by hiring carers who may not hold a diploma of teaching, but who nevertheless have special abilities with infants and toddlers. I think we're a bit precious about how we define an early childhood qualification. At the moment we define an early childhood qualification as a diploma or a degree in teaching. And this does indeed cut out a lot of people who have special skills and affinity for working with babies and toddlers. And providers would like to be appointing people both on the basis of their qualification and on the basis of their special abilities and their affinity for working with babies. Most of the staff at All About Kids are either qualified or in training. But the centre's owner, Wendy Fletcher, says a qualification is no guarantee of skills with under threes and agrees there's still room for the unqualified but instinctive worker. You have people like our, our care task coordinator who haven't got any formal early childhood qualifications, but I wouldn't have anybody else doing that job. She has the other half of the children, she has the empathy with parents and she has the, the stamina that you need when you're working with two-year-olds in particular. But Carmen Daly of the Institute for Early Childhood Studies is adamant that qualifications recognised throughout the sector give a crucial baseline. I'm really concerned to ensure that when children go to early childhood centre that they will receive respectful care and education, that they will have access to someone who can do the best for them that uh, is possible. And that means that we need some way to guarantee that. If you haven't got something, and in this case this something is qualification, then what you're saying is it's okay to experiment on children. It's okay, it doesn't matter that they may not know what they're doing. Professor Daly also says that when a qualified teacher comes across a toddler for whom they do not have a natural liking, their training kicks in. So if a qualification provides a baseline standard that parents can rely on and there's a shortage of teachers, would it be solved by more training places? The Tertiary Education Commission, or TEC, says over the last five years the number of people participating in early childhood education has grown by almost 250% and is predicted to rise again. Still, Nancy Bell from the New Zealand Childcare Association says hundreds have this year been denied training because tertiary providers have hit their government-imposed cap on the number of students they can enrol. This is quite controversial territory because most providers have hit their cap because there's been a huge surge of people wanting to qualify. So we've got you know, hundreds of students coming to us twice a year wanting to enrol in programs and get qualified. But we, along with other providers, have now hit our enrolment cap. And TC have a policy that providers are not permitted to go over 103% enrolment.
David Nicholson, the director of the tertiary network at TEC, says the cap was introduced to make education costs predictable each year. Nevertheless, he says TEC is willing to negotiate with providers. If there was direct student demand and what institutions... Does direct, what does direct well, student demand Institutions mean? get enrolments that turn into actual participation in courses. Okay, so... You, You've got to be sure in these situations that um, general demand is actually reflected in enrolments. The institutions chose to increase the number who are participating in their teaching programs, and if there were pressures, they could discuss that with us for further funding if that were available. In the end, of course, TEC can work only with the money that flows from the government. So is the sector generally underfunded? Wendy Fletcher from All About Kids believes it is and says it's a constant battle to balance the children's and teachers' needs. In order to get and maintain high-quality teachers, you need to be able to provide the opportunities for those teachers and I'm not only talking about in salaries, you need to be able to afford to send teachers off to courses and conferences. And a lot of those are horrendously expensive. If you're a responsible centre owner, then the income that you're receiving is going towards resources and opportunities for the children. One of America's leading economists, James Heckman, found that in the U.S., for every dollar invested in early childhood education, there was up to an $8 benefit over time. And UNICEF believes a minimum benchmark of 1% of gross domestic product should be spent on early childhood education. New Zealand is 19th out of 23 OECD countries, spending less than half that. Nevertheless, early childhood services get a billion dollars a year. From July 2010, five-year-olds and children attending play centres in Kahungareo will be eligible for 20 hours per week of early childhood education. Last month's budget authorised a further $70 million over the next four years in early childhood education. It's understandable the government wants to get as many children as possible, particularly those from low socioeconomic backgrounds, into early education, because the evidence is overwhelming that it has long-term benefits. But is the emphasis on the three- to five-year-olds misplaced? Sarah Farquhar of the Early Childhood Council believes the bias towards the elder children penalises their younger siblings. So much of the important development is going on for that little child that we really do want to get it right. Because by age three, so much is happening in the, in the development of the child that unless we get it right before age three, it's twice as hard to work with a child. Um, it it's much more time-consuming. A lot of the emotions have been affected, the behaviour has been affected, um, the learning. Um, so you really want to help the child to get on the right path early on. More funding might also allow more centres to offer more places to the expensive but unsubsidised under threes. Most operate lengthy waiting lists, as All About Kids owner Wendy Fletcher illustrates. We have parents who are coming in who have just come from the doctor or the midwife and discovered that they're pregnant, coming in and having to put their child's name down. Baby X is on the waiting list. We've got four children on our waiting list now who are only three months cooking, you know. We've got people ringing up saying, I'm going back to work next month and I need to... I'm going, well, I'm sorry, but we haven't got any spaces in our under twos area before at least November. And full-time spaces, we haven't got anything before March 2010. 
Such a demand has led many early childhood centres to tell parents they must pay for a full 40-hour week for their child to win and keep a place at the facility, as this mother explains. She had to be enrolled for um, full-time, or some centres might have been for three or four days, but actually I only wanted her to be in for two days. So, and there was nowhere that that was possible. Every, every centre had a minimum number of days and um, part-time really wasn't an option. But clinical psychologist Wendy Kelly says most educators worry that children too young in too many hours of out-of-home care might have to battle later behavioural problems, although again quality care appears to ameliorate this. Is the government sending mixed messages about its commitment to early childhood education? Last month's budget severed funding to four programmes that teachers say are crucial to improving their practice. Among the four was the much-prized $1 million Centres of Innovation programme, where research is carried out into cutting-edge practices implemented at various early childhood centres. At the Manatamariki Kohangareo in Palmerston North, the principal, Tony Waho, says with just a month's notice of the funding cut, the researchers at the Kohanga won't get an opportunity to finish their three-year contract. We are feeling quite gutted. We don't understand for the small amount comparative to the other large amounts of money that have been saved in the ministry why our projects can continue and um, if they were going to cut it, cut it off from the next round. Raywin Barry of Massey Childcare Centre agrees that in the absence of specialist training for the under threes, the funding cut is inexplicable. It is mixed messages. It's saying, yes, we think early child is important. And yet they're cutting New Zealand research. This is really important because it needs to be about New Zealand, about our context, about our people. And the message is that it's not important. And yet if you talk to anybody that's been involved in the Centre of Innovation Research, they will tell you how valuable it is. Since Anne Tolly was out of the country, the Associate Minister for Education, Dr Peter Sharples, was asked, given the sector's anguish, if the government might review its decision. The written statement from Dr Sharples says simply, In view of my interest in kaupapa Māori education, I intend to make further inquiries into the situation of Mana Tamariki. The constancy and responsiveness that marks a quality childcare centre are not uniform across the sector. But it also appears that childcare may not be uniformly bad for the under threes. But those involved in early childhood education and the impact it has on infants and toddlers say wise choices by parents and a widened focus by government are imperative. <laughs>